Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones here for another edition of the Church Planner Podcast, which Peyton corrected me in, a, in an earlier podcast. I can't say ye old Church Planner Podcast because you don't like it sounding I, like it's old. I want you to introduce it from now on going, hey, this is the new Church Planner Podcast. You need it? How, about, how, about, how about this? Good morning, Church Planner. <laughs> That would be awesome. Get to that chopper. Oh, you know what? I don't have any of the sound effects plugged in for this I one. I knew so. you didn't bring your toys today. I knew that because when we interviewed uh, Joe Martin Ritchie, Walter Martin's daughter, you, you didn't you didn't use any toys. You know, because I can't plug them into the phone, so I can't make them come through the the conference line. Oh man, and, we uh, have we have to spread the Google uh, Google Hangout just so we can play we, with our toys. We really do. We got to get more people to understand uh, how to use Google Hangout. But speaking of Google Hangout, or actually not speaking of Google Hangout, we've got a uh, another great guest on this particular episode of Ye Old Church Planner Podcast. So, uh, Peyton, yes. why don't you introduce our guest? You know what? I am very, very excited to introduce to our listeners somebody that I've been chasing down for a while now. When I say a while, I mean about five or six weeks. Ever since uh, Exponential on the West Coast, um, we had a talk there, a workshop. We were right next door to Linda Berquist, and she was speaking on how to raise support or how to finance your church plant. And I thought, man, now that is a subject close to every church planter's heart. And she came and crashed our party because, you know, surprisingly, we went a little bit long. And uh, Linda is a church planting catalyst. Now, if you don't know what that is, a catalyst is someone who mentors church planners and gets it going. And what's really cool about her is she serves as a church planning catalyst with the North American Mission Board uh, in the Southern California Southern Baptist Convention. Now, 
if you don't know much about the Southern Baptists, right, um, you might remember them from the 90s. They boycotted Disney, and that may be all you know. But the Southern Baptists got my attention back in the 90s when they held their annual conference in Salt Lake City and decided, uh, we're going to take all of our pastors and make them go door to door. Uh, for Mormons. And I remember reading U.S. News and World Report back in the 90s thinking, that is rock and roll. Now, that is a denomination that's doing something. And I've had my eyes on them. I think right now in the world of church planning, the Southern Baptists are really on fire. Everywhere I look, uh, I see Southern Baptists connected to church planning. So uh, Linda is also appointed, not only is she rock and roll and being that, but she's also appointed to the San Francisco Bay Area. They eat churches alive there. There be dragons there, mate. And she's been there for 17 years, so she's earned her stripes. She also teaches adjunct at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in Mill Valley, California. She is the co-author of Church Turned Inside Out, a guide for designers, refiners, and realigners, which is also a rock and roll title. She's going to play some air guitar for us in a minute because she's so rock and roll because uh, I keep saying that to you. But the other book she wrote was The Wholehearted Church Planner. You know, I read that title, and I was like, man, I want to read that. Check out the subtitle, Leadership from the Inside Out. And she has a husband named Eric, and they both live in San Francisco. Linda, it is awesome to have you on the program. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you again. Hey, yeah. Yeah, Linda, let me ask you, um, where in San Francisco are you? Oh, I live pretty close to San Francisco State, so kind of the southwest corner of the city. It's where we could afford to buy a house. Okay, yeah, because I grew up in the Bay Area. I lived in uh, San Bruno. My dad was a pastor in Pacifica. Um, and then uh, Burlingame is where we uh, spent most of my high school years. So cool. yep. very well, familiar with that inside. area. We live right inside the city. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Did you know a guy named Daniel Fusco? I do know Daniel Fusco. I wish he yeah. was still here. Yes, indeed. I told him. I told him, dude. You know, you gotta still keep church plan. But he assures me he is not a goer anymore. He will now be a sender. So I'm gonna hold yeah. him to that. He had planted a couple yeah. churches in the Bay Area. And yeah. uh, Linda, tell us a little about yourself, what you do, and uh, you know, like your favorite cartoon and all. No, I'm teasing. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you do. What What's your day to day, and how you got involved in the work at church planning? Yeah, there actually is no day-to-day. There, you know, every day is, is a lot different. Some days it's meeting a whole lot of people. Sometimes it's hosting people at our home as a way to get to know them. Sometimes it's spending a huge amount of time as a computer. Um, I love demographics. I'm a little bit of a geek, so I spend a lot of time figuring out communities demographically, both online and off. Um, I also love cultures. So right now I'm working – used to just work with um, – English-speaking cultures, but now I'm working with Chinese and with South Asians and with Muslim cultures, and that's a really new and fun challenge for me. Um, So I've been doing this for about 30 years now, a little over 30 years, and actually uh, what happened was um, the first week after I became a Christian, I went on my first mission trip. And a couple of weeks later, I quit my job and went to an Apache reservation for the summer and found the Baptist there. They found me, actually. They told me I was going to get scalped if I stayed in the campground. So they took me in, and um, they wanted to find a church in a new area of the reservation, and they were praying about it. So I went to the pastor, and I said, well, why are you guys praying for it? You've got Bibles here and a lot of people here and pencils and paper and all that. Do you need anything else to start a church? And the pastor was a, you know, he didn't realize I was a brand new Christian and 
that kind of question was was a real question for me. I wasn't being obnoxious. And um, he got a little bit mad, but he sent his wife back the next day, and she said, "We're gonna, we're gonna plant a church uh, starting next week, and you're in charge." So that was my um, that was my debut in the church planting world. And then went back, told my pastor about it. They said, "You can help us plant a church." And then went off to seminary. I'm still a new Christian at, at two and a half years old in in Christ. And um, I asked my pastor what I should do for a church when I got there, and he said, "Well, you know, obviously you start." Our churches. So while I was in seminary, I planted a couple churches, and then my home church called me back on staff to help them plant new churches. So it's just all I knew. That's all I've ever done. That is so cool, Linda. Very, very cool. So um, you're, uh, you know, so you're working now with with different cultures. That's pretty awesome because San Francisco is quite cosmopolitan. I mean, best Chinese food I ever ate in my life was there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you haven't been to China then, have you? Oh, I, I, you know, I ate at some little place in the business district. I don't think it was far over as Chinatown, but um, it was a dim sum a la carte place. Oh my gosh, oh, um, there's dim sum in heaven. Yeah, there is. There is. Yes. Do you use that when you're talking to Chinese? Do you tell them like there's dim sum in heaven because that makes it <laughs> very much more appealing. <laughs> Actually, I'll have to try that one out and let you know. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you've been speaking a bit on the circuit with uh, raising finances for church plant. How do you feel a church planner can best support themselves in the work? Um, yeah, well, it's actually all kinds of ways, and I'm not sure there's a best way. It depends on a lot of factors. Um, yeah. First of all, they, their vision, um, the vision of the partner churches. So sometimes you're sort of forced into a mode by whoever your partners are. Um, it depends on your gifting, um, you know, how how God's wired you to be able to start a church. Um, it depends on your context, what culture you're working in, um, what people group you're working with, where you live. It depends on your model. All that stuff has to line up. It has to kind of come together in a way that it makes sense for it to happen. So um, we've got a couple churches here that have raised a million dollars to plant a church. Of course, those are not very reproducible. um, And I don't think that God's called everybody to plant a church like those kind of churches have been started. And it's not a better kind of church, um, but it is a way that we do it. I'm I'm actually kind of a um, proponent of bivocational planting. Um, (laughs) I guess I'm sort of bivocational myself, you know, um, teacher and author as well as a catalyst. So I know it can be done. Um, so, um, I think that if you are bivocational, that you've got to figure out how to have a job that's flexible, um, how to have a team. Like we have one guy who's a full-time anesthesiologist and he's a lead pastor in a church start, but he has a great team working with him. Um, it's important maybe to have a job that you don't have to take home with you um, and think about all night long. Uh, so you can think about the church plant. Um, and, and I guess too, that it's important to be around people. Um, if you're vocational, important to be around people that allow, allows you to expand your own network of influence um, among mm-hmm. the people that God's called you to reach. So you don't want just any bivocational job. Uh, but bivocationalism is really pretty well for us here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, San Francisco, I'd imagine, is a lot like Europe, you know, where. Uh, you know, it's very post-Christian, very liberal. Um, the gospel, for it to take root, it has to be 
a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, it, you just, you cannot, like Paul says, you can sow, you can water, God has to give the increase. And that's everywhere, but I think you feel it more in a place like San Francisco. So um, yeah. I think well, by vocationalism, you got to be around people. Yeah. So I, I think that there are two reasons people go by vocational. One is because it's so expensive to live in um, a number of our cities. Uh, you can rent yeah. one bedroom for 3000 a month. In parts of San Francisco, you know, how do you how do you really sustain a church planting salary for very long that way? But I think the other is just to um, find some credibility in a community of people that you know they think you're worth something. You know, what's he do? He just hangs out with people all day. You know, when's he really going to get a real job? So um, the bivocationalism factor allows you to to really um, not only get to know people but get people to think you're worth something. You know, one of the things that that I really thought was profound in what you were saying is um, having a, a job that you're able to leave at work when you leave. And uh, that's actually a thought that's never crossed my mind before, but I think it's, uh, I think that's so profound because, mm. you know, uh, Linda, one of the things is that Peyton and I talk about a lot on the show, or, or it, I shouldn't say a lot, but it comes up is, you know, my strength is, is on the business side of things and I run marketing companies and, Um, Right now, I have several companies that I run and projects that I do. And for me, I'm always thinking about business. Like, we we just recently did a podcast, and, you know, one of the things that we brought up is, is, you know, how does a church planner have balance in his life? And I'm like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I don't understand what the word balance means. I only know what the word harmony means. Like, I can make things work together, but I'm always doing something. I mean, I'm always thinking about work. I'm thinking about uh, what we're doing with the podcast, with the Church Planner magazine, and I, I just don't turn it off. But I understood exactly what you said when when you brought that up of being able to have a job that you're able to leave at work, because that to me makes so much sense to to take a church planner who's being bivocational. I mean, if they can find a gig mm. where they can just do it at work, leave it, and then focus on the church. I mean, to me, that's, that's a brilliant thought that I've never had before. And I just thank you for sharing that. I was, I totally yeah. got that. Yeah. Well, we've learned that the hard way that people who want to be bivocational and plan a church sometimes um, get more engaged in whatever it else is that they're starting, especially if it's more successful uh, numerically than the church is, they get engaged in that, can't leave it behind, and never end up planning a church. So it's failure that's taught us that lesson. Yeah, and, you know, with with Pete being a, a marketing guy, uh, I, I know he, he was thinking when he's hearing you say these guys raised a million, is that our next book that we write has to be called The Million Dollar Church Planner. <laughs> <laughs> I what do you think, Pete? I actually did do a book with a buddy of mine called The Million Dollar, or no, The Millionaire Loan Officer, and we taught loan officers basically how to make a lot of money. So that's very funny. It'd be full circle. <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete and I's romance has developed now so that uh, we finish each other's thoughts, right? <laughs> right? No, I'm teasing. Um, but, no, I, I, I mean, how did these guys raise um, – because, you know, we, we, we believe in a bivocational approach, and – and, of course, uh, Hugh Halter's book, Bivo, says, hey, there's kind of a balance when you're Bivo. There's a little bit you get from the church. There's a little bit that you raise as a missionary. And there's a little bit that you work with your hands for. And, and of course, we see all those in, in the scriptures. So you'll, you'll find guys try to knock one of them or they hold one up at the, at the expense of others. And, 
you know, this is the holy grail, you know, let's all follow it. Yeah. But uh, I, I was refreshed by Hugh's approach, and even I hear this coming off you, Linda, is that there's a mix. Um, but but it's fundraising. Obviously, those guys were good at it. They were like, hey, and a million bucks in the hole, right? So everybody's going, what did they do? So I'm going to ask that question for our listeners. Okay. Um, well, um how do you start raising a million dollars? First of all, I think you need a support that. <laughs> Not a million. Not a million, but like just money. That's big all bucks. That's How do you raise, how do you raise money. big bucks? I, I think that it works best when there's a whole system where you're part of a church planning network that mm. um, there are other people who are helping you to raise that money too. So locally, for instance, we have a project called, well, it's actually nationally for Southern Baptist, Send San Francisco, and there are partner churches all over the place that want to help us do uh, what what they want to, you know, what they want to do with church starting. So uh, we get lots of help from them. Um, another thing is that people have to consider that a full-time job for a while. So there's a period of time before you plant where you actually work at their fundraising aspect of it. You, you keep yeah. at it, you keep at it, you set goals for yourself. And it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, a passive act. You have to learn how to do the ask. Um, another thing yeah. is that I think you've got to think, um, I've, I've worked some in the nonprofit fundraising world just for fun. And what they say is you don't raise money for a nonprofit. You, you create donors. And I think it's yeah. true for church planning as well. You, you create partners. So the partners yes. don't want to just give money. They want to get involved. They want it to be good for their, you know, like if it's a church helping, they want it to be good for their church members to help you. Uh, they want it to, to make sense to people. They want to get involved on the ground. They want to pray for you. My friend Gary Irby says you got to pay, pray, and play. And people who get involved in that whole way of fundraising really, I think, do a better job. So um, that kind of partnership really matters. Um, the, kind of one of the downsides of this kind of church planning is for us, we don't have those kinds of churches locally yet. We don't have the churches that can invest $50,000 at a pop um, in church planning. So most of the partners come from other places in the country. So the guys who have already built relationships with churches in the South or, um, you know, churches in some part of the country where there are a lot of mega churches that have paid for their building, those guys come from the outside in and they bring money with them from the churches they already know. Um, so those relationships are good and they're really helpful, so I'm not knocking them, but what it does is limit that same potential for indigenous planters to come in and do yes. that kind of work. Yeah. Does it make sense, kind of? Yeah, well, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. And it's definitely something that you've been witnessing uh, with your own eyes and you know, but uh, I, I like how you kind of mentioned, and, and I know Pete wants to jump in on this, where you said, because I, I know Pete, when Pete and I first started talking, our relationship started off with me making a phone call because he signed up on my list. And we got to talking, and I'll never forget Pete saying, you missionaries, I watch you Sunday after Sunday, because at that time I was, I'd just gotten back from being overseas in Europe. He said, you, uh, you guys suck at asking for support. You do it all wrong. <laughs> And he goes, you know, somebody needs to sit you down. It's so true, isn't it? Like, like in seminary, they don't teach you people skills, and yet you end up working so much with people. As missionaries, no one sits you down. So it's very refreshing to hear you say, look, you need to learn how to ask. Paul asked for money in, this, in the letters. If he, in one of his major ministries, was collecting money. 
for uh, for Jerusalem. So you know, you, uh, you you find this in the scripture, but Pete kind of took me aside and said, "Hey, man, you know, you guys suck. I'm going to level with you, and you need to learn how to do it." And so, um, Pete, what what are your thoughts on that, man? Well, I just exactly what you were saying is, you know, she mentioned uh, you have to learn how to ask. So, you know, tell us, Linda, what are some of your thoughts on doing the ask? Um, you know, how do you coach church planners to uh, raise that support to, to do the ask? Yeah. Well, to, honestly, there are people who are so much better at me that now I send church planners to other church planners who help them. But let me give you... <laughs> the Million Dollar Club. You're like, hey, you got to yeah. go talk to the Million Buck Club. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think um, a couple of factors really matter to start with. One is you got to figure out who it is you're going to ask. So um, to, to figure out who's already investing in uh, new things in church planning or whatever, um, churches that are growing quickly and may have the reserves, um, who have a, a heart for experimentation, um, those are the places where you want to ask. I think you want to, when you think about who to ask, you have to figure out each given situation. Am I going to do, do better asking a church to, um, to give? Or are you going to do better asking individuals in the church to give? Sometimes it's both. But if you come from a church that you might get $50 a month from, you might do better asking people who are old family friends uh, to help you with, with the finances. So um, all the who's matter. Um, I'm really eager to watch something happening um, in the future with um, Asian businessmen, Chinese businessmen, mm-hmm. Korean businessmen, who are very, very entrepreneurial, who are Christians, and yeah. um, wanting to see them decide that they'd like to sponsor church planning as businesses as well can be done. I was actually supported for a year in San Diego by a printing business um, who wanted huh. to see me continue church planning after my church went through a really tough time. So um, I think the business people that you consider asking for all those, I think you need to know um, sort of what to ask for. And part of that is building your own credibility. So an, a nice looking prospectus, um, an early website, knowing your community well, um, you know, having that in writing, having a, a short and a long version in writing. Mm. Um, I think it's um, all of those things help you to build credibility. And, you know, ask for professional help. Planners. Church planners don't have to be artists. You know, they don't have to be web designers. Just ask for help. And that's maybe that's part of your ask is to ask a friend who does web design, can you just do this for me as your contribution for the church plant? So um, okay. that building credibility factor really, really matters. I, um, I just and, got a major takeaway from that, Linda. And I, I don't know if everybody caught that, but Linda's saying, put together perspectives. These are businessmen. And if you want these guys to be donors, put together perspectives. So almost like a, you said short, would you be kind of like an elevator pitch? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then something longer, almost like a plan. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do and why? Um, Pete's brought this up before that, uh, you know, if you – uh, as, a, as these guys are investors, so they're thinking about it in some ways, like not not from a business model, like is this going to bring back money? But do you know what in the heck you're doing? That's how their brain operates. Do you, do you have a plan? And when yeah. when we talked about mission statements recently, we're saying like it's no good to put in your plan. We're going to reach this town for Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but how are you going to do it? You talk about demographics. We. We say, well, do you understand the city? Do you understand how to do that? Do you understand right. how people interact in your city? What what will you do to approach that, you know, gospel inroads and make a gospel inroads, you know? And 
So uh, that that's really good one. I like I I've really taken away from that. You know, I um, I want to add one more thing to that. I um, I don't know if this is true only in the Bay Area. It's true all over the country. But it used to be there were two kinds of businesses. There were regular um, for profits and regular not for profits or community benefit organizations. But now it's like there are four kinds of organizations. Um, one is the regular nonprofit, yes, and the regular nonprofit, but the fiscally responsible not for profit and the socially responsible for profit. And those two middle grounds is where you really have to work with. So the people who donate from businesses or people who have a lot of money want to ask, what are you doing to show accountability? And fiscal responsibility as you plant your your church, which is that you know not for profit organization. How are you going to make a difference with it, and how do you measure results? Are you evaluating? Are you measuring results? And they want to ask those kind of questions. And then the socially um, responsible for profit is what we're talking about: asking Christian businessmen to um, align themselves around. That's awesome. What mistakes do planners typically make in the area of financing and funding their plan? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. Um, What is just going after the prevailing models that's out there. And um, I, I, I mentioned this earlier that they need to kind of own their context their gifting their people group, know themselves thoroughly, um, understand methodologies and not just methodology, um, the practical situation they find themselves. So they've got to um, take into account their own situation and what's going to be real for them. Um, so um, many planners actually look first at the models that they know are working for somebody else somewhere else and then tend to copy their budgets. And that's, you know, mm. I really don't think that's um, what we should do about anything in church planning, have more of a designed approach towards it. Um, Another big mistake I see happening is that um, church planners need to, early on, begin to teach stewardship um, to their own people, not assume that everything is going to come from the outside. But what you want to do is have a goal of the resources eventually coming out of the harvest. Um, And and not to, in places like this, it's really easy to think of yourself as being in a mission field, but think in terms of, how do we become ascending base to the future? How do we become ascending base mm-hmm. to the world? What are we going to do to give back? And so that early stewardship mentality is super important. Um, and um, that's that's actually hardwired into Sin North America um, to their mission board. That's uh, if you don't know when you join uh, the Southern Baptists, often they will evaluate you and determine what amount of money it could be a thousand, could be two thousand. Um, that they will give to you, but they ask right away that you start donating 10% of what the church comes in so that you right away become a giving church, a church that thinks beyond its borders. And that's really healthy for a church. I mean, yeah, and that 10% teaches, is for missions. It is. It's for church planning. So you're, it's not you're for already, the organization. Yeah. Yeah. You're right away becoming. So when that money comes to you, other churches that have planted have been giving that money. And so now you're doing new work, and it's it's paying it forward, which is such a beautiful model. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're like, hey, I invented it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think another thing is is that um, just um, some church planning organizations are based in a region, and 
when you're based in a region, it's easy to think that you give a certain amount in every situation. You give the same amount of money. And they don't take account um, what things cost in other regions. So I, I, you know, I love the indigenous church planning model, um, but it's also biblical to be a sent out one for a while. That Paul was sent out, <laughs> and so um, I think that that when a church planning organization looks at who they're sending out, it's, it's really important to think in terms of what it's going to cost to live in that area and to begin making an impact in that area. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, you're you're speaking church zero ease now. Cha-ching! Oh, by the way, Linda, when we mention our books on the show, we have to uh, say cha-ching. You know, that's cool. <laughs> so, if you want to mention your book you know, and give it a take it for a spin, you can. You just have to say cha-ching. Yeah, um, and but, I, I think uh, you know, another mistake we make is we don't think of, about um, um, what are some of the other resources. Like we have a, a church planner right now who's bivocational. He's a businessman, and he's. Um, Working, he's a Korean businessman who is working in a poor area of San Jose, working with new immigrants, um, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of Vietnamese who have come in, and it's never going to support a salary for him. And so he's not trying to make it do that. But he is looking for grants, like government grants and other grants that help him with programming. That's, you know, just a really creative way to go for it. Um, so um, I think just thinking about those different models and thinking what you need based on your model is another another thing. Another uh, place where we make a mistake is not hearing what God wants to provide. That's really mm-hmm. just, um, um, you know, I mean, we we pray, but we really don't expect God to answer. So, for instance, we have an indigenous church planner, Scott Berglund, who lives in the Pleasanton area. And um, everybody knew him and his wife. He was a coach uh, for the, the soccer team. His wife is a public school teacher. Years and years of relationships. And um, they were offered $1,000 a month to plant a church and live in Pleasanton. So you know, he's thinking bivocational, but what happens for him is that he gets a free place to live. Somebody runs off to Africa for a couple of years and gives him a place to live because he just knows them relationally. And a core of people come around the church plant just because he and his wife are planning a church, they want to be part of it. And they start giving immediately. And God just provided those things to this guy who is indigenous. And um, we we don't put that into our list of expectations. So I think one big mistake is not factoring God into the whole equation. Hmm. You know, that that's such a bugbear to me when I hear church planners, like almost like uh, what Greg, uh, Craig Groeschel would call like a practical atheist. They, you know, they just like, dude, where's God then? You know, I, it's funny this morning in the shower, cause I do a lot of thinking and brain there, um, <laughs> and cleaning, you know, not ironically, but, uh, but I, <laughs> not the shower mind, but, but my body, but anyways, uh, the, the, the point was I was there this morning and I just was, I was kind of meditating cause I'm in this weird in, in between position. Now I'm starting to travel out further field and work with other church plants and, I just never want, especially after planning a number of churches now, to ever be in the place where I just think I can do it and where, oh, this is easy. I've done this before. That is like the most terrifying thought that I would put myself in a position out of arrogance to think I could plan a church. And the reality is you just, nobody can plan a church. Just, you know, before we sign off, because that's about all the time we have, but, uh, you know, what you said right there, I mean, we're talking to a veteran. Linda is a veteran. 30-plus years she'd been involved in this. So 
if Don Overstreet is what I want to be when I grow up, he's been doing it 48 years, over 500 church planners he's mentored. And Linda, you're what my wife wants to be when she grows up. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's been awesome talking to you, Linda. We want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, giving us your uh, wisdom and letting us pick your brain a bit and giving us some new stuff. I got some new takeaways from this today. We've been talking quite a bit about FIVO, but uh, we just want to thank you for, for really expanding that, talking about, you know, getting businessmen, donors, prospectuses, even grants, you know, and maybe in future that's something we can have you on to talk about in a little more detail. Yeah, thank you, Linda. Very much appreciate you being on. Definitely my pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Well, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.